Um, as we do every year, the, um, the week, this year, before Yud Shvat, before the 10th of Shvat, we spend some time and review the Maimer Basi Ligani that uh, has become synonymous with Yud Shvat. And uh, a drop of history, something we've done every year, but a drop of history, and then we'll move on to the special Maimer of this year. So, of course, Yud Shvat, the 10th of Shvat, which is this coming Shabbos, marks the um, yard site of the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Lubavitch Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, the 6th Rebbe of Lubavitch, who passed away on Yud Shvat, the 10th Shvat, and it was also Shabbos. That year was also Shabbos in 1950. Um, but the uh, lead-up to that, the Friedrich Rebbe was not healthy for the last number of years of his life, and that got progressively worse, um, to a point that he was not able to say Numa Morim at the time, in the 1940s, in the, mid, in the mid-40s. And instead, what he would do is he would instruct his son-in-law, which was later his successor, our Rebbe, and he would tell him, he would give him certain Mamorim that the Friedrich Rebbe had said years in the past, and tell him to prepare them and, and, get, and print them, and give them out for special dates on the calendar. And the Friedrich Rebbe would be very specific what dates to print them, which mimer to print, and what date to print it for. And that's how the system was in those years in the later 1940s. So it was in 1950, in 1950 in Tafshin Yud, and it was before Yud Shvat. And the Friedrich Rebbe calls in his son-in-law, the Rebbe, and he says, I want you to prepare and give out a mimer, a lengthy mimer, that the Friedrich Rebbe had said some 20 years earlier. And the Maimir really has 20 chapters, 20 prokim. And I want you to give it out in four sections as four Maimurim, for four special upcoming dates. Says so the first section should be given out for Yud Shvat, the 10th of Shvat. And that's because the 10th of Shvat is the yard site of my grandmother, says the Friedrich Rebbe. His grandmother is the Rebbe Rivka, the wife of the Rebbe Maharash. The second section should be given out three days later for Yud Gimel Shvat. And Yud Gimel Shvat is the yard site of his mother, the Rebbe's in Sternasar. So part one of the Mimer is, is going to be given out for the yard site of the Baba, the grandmother, the Rebbe's in Rivka, part two of the Mimer, for the yard site of Rebbe's in Sternasar. Part three of the Mimer should be given out for Purim. And part four for Beis Nissen, which is the yard site of the Rebbe Rashab, the Friedrich Rebbe's father. So again, we have this Mimer, 20 sections, 20 Oisiyos, uh, we call them. And given out in four sections, Yud Shvat, Yud Gimel Shvat, Purim, and Beis Nisan. And this is what the Friedrich Rebbe tells the Rebbe. And then he says, he says, but make sure that the first section should be ready out, published, and on the tables in 770 on Shabbat, for Shabbos Yud Shvat. So the Hasidim should be able to learn it on Shabbos Yud Shvat already. And in fact, I always say this, I heard from someone who was there at the time in 1950, that on that Friday, the Rebbe was busy, went to the printer and came back, and he, he made sure to get the first copies of the Maimir Basi Lagani. And in fact, the Rebbe relates that he went into the room of his father-in-law, the Friedrich Rebbe. It was Friday afternoon. The Friedrich Rebbe was already dressed for Shabbos, and he was davening Mincha. He was right before Mincha, the beginning of Mincha. And the Rebbe walked in and handed the Friedrich Rebbe, put down on the table the new Maimir that he had just printed. The Friedrich Rebbe nodded his thanks, and the Rebbe backed out of the room. And that was the last time the Rebbe saw his father-in-law, the Friedrich Rebbe. Because the next morning, a Shabbos morning, 8.30 in the morning, in 770, the Friedrich Rebbe passes away. And although the Friedrich Rebbe was ill, nobody was in any way expecting him to pass away at that time. It was sudden. And it's a shock. And so, you know, it, it's a Yushvat in the morning, the Friedrich Rebbe passes away.
Now, the Rebbe took very, very seriously and very deeply the concept that this was the mimer, that the Friedrich Rebbe had instructed be printed for that date. That turns out to be his yard site, right? The Friedrich Rebbe said to print it for that date because it was his grandmother's yard site, but it turned out to be his yard site. And over the years, the Rebbe said that this mimer becomes like a spiritual tzavo, like a will, like a last will and testament of the Friedrich Rebbe for us, for the mission of this generation. And then, as we know, the history of the time, there was for an entire year from the 10th of Shvat, 1950 until 1951, that there were Hasidim asking the Rebbe to become Rebbe, the Rebbe didn't want. There was a full year of that. And finally, one year later on the first yard site, the Rebbe leads the Fabrengen and starts a mimer, because that was the way the Rebbe accepted the Nasis to become the new Rebbe of Chabad by saying a mimer Hasidus. And he started uh, the mimer with this Pasuk, Basi Legani Kala, which is the Pasuk that the Friedrich Rebbe began this mimer with a year earlier. And that's how the Rebbe became the Rebbe, by saying this mimer Basi Legani. And then the Rebbe began a fascinating minhag. Yes? I, I just have a quick question. So, when did the Friedrich Rebbe say these Maimarim originally? Right, in the 1930s. In, in Poland? Yes, 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 before he came to America, yeah. Um, now, the Rebbe starts, and he says the Maimar Basi Ligani, and then the Rebbe begins a fascinating minhug. The Rebbe totally, he started a minhug. And that is, every year on Yudshvat, the Rebbe would say a mimer starting with this pasuk of Basi Ligani Achaisi Kala, based on the initial mimer of the Friedrich Rebbe. But every year, the Rebbe's mimer would zoom into one of the initial chapters of the initial Basi Ligani. So, as I told you, the initial Basi Ligani, Ligani mimer is 20 chapters long. So, in 1951, the Rebbe says a Basi Ligani, but it's focused primarily on the first chapter. In 52, the second, and 53, the third, and that one for 20 years, until 1970. For 20 years, every year in Yuchvat, the Rebbe would say a mimer, everybody knew the Rebbe's going to say a mimer, Basi Ligani, and it's going to be, it's going to delve into one of the subsequent chapters of Basi Ligani. That went for 20 years. 1971, no one knew what's going to be now. And sure enough, on Yuchvat, the Rebbe starts Basi Ligani, and says another mimer on the first chapter. And again, does that for 20 years. So again, goes through every year another Basi Ligani mimer. And that's why the mimer Basi Ligani becomes really synonymous with Yushvat. If it's Yushvat, the Rebbe is going to say a Basi Ligani mimer. Hasidim are going to learn a Basi Ligani mimer. Every year, delving into the next chapter consecutively of Basi Liganis. Now, since then, we already, since then, the Hasidim adopted that custom and keep on going. So we follow that yearly cycle of every year on Yushvat, focusing on an initial um, chapter of the Friedrich Rebbe's Mimer, and the Rebbe's Mamarim on that chapter, right? So if we do the math, 1951 through 1970 was the first cycle. 1971 till 1990 was the second cycle. 1991 till 2010 was the third cycle. And now we're in 2024. That means we're in the 14th chapter of the fourth time around, the fourth cycle. Right? So, and I, I'm not testing anyone with the mathematics over here, but this year is the 14th of, of the fourth cycle, which means that if this Yushvat, we review the 14th chapter of the Friedrich Rebbe's Basilagani, and which Basilaganis of the Rebbe are learned this year. So, the one of 1964 and the one of 1984. 
Because in 1964 is the first time the Rebbe said of Basilegani, I'm the 14th ice of, of the uh, Basilegani Maimer. And in 1984 is the second time the Rebbe said the Basilegani on this ice. And that's why Hasidim of Lubavitch this year and of the yeshivas and so on, over the last few weeks and over the next couple of days, are focusing specifically on the Rebbe's Basilegani of 1964 and 1984, which are both based on the Isyudala, the 14th chapter of the initial Basilegani. I hope that was clear. Um, in fact, you have printed in, in all Lubavitch yeshivas, whatever, you have this little booklet, which, if you can see, is Basi Lugani of Tafshin Chav Dalid and Tafshin Mem Dalid. That's the, the, again, this booklet has the Friedrich Rebbe's 14th um, chapter and the Rebbe's Mimer of 64 and the Rebbe's Mimer of 84. Now, that's a lot of learning to do and definitely uh, one hour is not going to do it justice at all. But nevertheless, I want to review a couple of the main points of the initial Basi Lugani and perhaps try to zoom in a little bit also to the Basilogani of this year, the chapter 14, and maybe a little bit from the Rebbe's Mimer from 1964, Basilogani, time permitting. Okay? Um, but, so, but first, a very, some very basic and general Basilogani concepts. The word Basilogani is, of course, a Pasuk from Shir Hashirim, where Hashem says, I've come to my garden, I've come back to my garden. Basilogani achosi kala. Um, the entire Shira Shirim Song of Songs is written in these terms of endearment of Hashem to the Jewish people. He calls us his bride. Hashem is the chassan or the kala. And Hashem says, I've come to my garden, my sister, my kala. What does it mean that Hashem says, I've come to my garden or I've come back to my garden? And the mimer begins by bringing the medrash. And the medrash says something fascinating. And it says that when Hashem created the world initially, the iker shechina b'tachtoinim hoisa, which means literally, that the essence of the divine presence was in this physical world, in this lowly world. When Hashem created the world, He was here, He was at home here. But then there happened seven cardinal sins. And each sin, so to speak, pushed away the Shekhinah from this world another step. And the seven cardinal sins, we have the sin of the Eitz Hadas, obviously eating the Eitz Hadas, the sin of Cain and Hevel, the sin of Enosh, who began Avedizarog, and idol worship, we have the sin of uh, the Mabel, the Der Haflaga, the, the Tower of Bavel, the uh, Sodom and Amora, the early Mitzrayim. These were the seven sins that pushed the Shekhinah, the divine presence, away from this world, again, so to speak. And then comes seven Sadikim, seven great Sadikim, who bring the Shekhinah back to the world step by step. And there are seven Sadikim who are father and son Avram Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, that's three, um, Levi, Kahas, Amram, and Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu is the seventh tzaddik. And here we have in the beginning of Asilagani where it says that this was the avodah of Moshe Rabbeinu. He, he was the seventh. And we have a concept in Torah that the seventh is always beloved. Like Shabbos is the seventh day of the week and is beloved and Shemitah is the seventh year. So seven has a special connection to Kedusha and is beloved. So Moshe Rabbeinu who's the seventh and the seventh is beloved has the job of bringing the Shechina back into this world. When did Moshe Rabbeinu bring the Shekhinah back into this world? Really, it was a two-step process of Matan Torah and then building the Mishkan. The Matan Torah, Hashem comes into this world, and then when He builds the Mishkan, as the Pasuk says, Make for me a Mishkan, and I will dwell amongst you. That's how the Basi Ligani begins. And here the Rebbe pointed out the amazing, almost Hashkacha like, Pratis, or beyond, like, prophetic vision here. Because this is the Mimer. 
that really is the Maimer that the Friedrich Rebbe gives out for the day of his passing, and therefore becomes the beginning, or the, the, the last will and testament, if you will, for the next generation, which is the seventh generation. Right? The Friedrich Rebbe was the sixth Rebbe of Chabad. The Rebbe is the seventh Rebbe of Chabad. So we're the seventh generation of Chabad. And the opener of this Maimer is all about the seventh and the job of the seventh. The mission statement of the seventh is to bring the Shekhinah all the way back into this world. And the Rebbe looked at this as a mission statement. And he says, we're being told over here what's the mission of our generation. Just as Moshe Rabbeinu in his time was the seventh generation that began from Avram Avinu. And his mission was to bring the Shekhinah back into the world. So much so that Hashem says, Basi Ligani, I've come back to my garden. Come back to the world to be at home. So too it's the mission of our generation to complete the Avodah bringing Hashem into this world, which is the Avodah bringing Moshiach Sakin. And that's how the Rebbe viewed that Basilagani, that opening statement of Hashem saying, I'm coming back into the world, and specifically, it's the Avodah of the seventh, of that seventh step, the seventh generation, to complete the Avodah of bringing the Shekhin in the world, and bringing Moshiach Sakin. And the Rebbe said in that Mimer, very clearly, right in the beginning, this is what we're here to do. We're here to, to, to finish the job and bring Moshiach to the world, which... Obviously, we're still waiting for its completion. Maybe because of the car of Mamish. Right? So that's how Basilagani begins. Now, but then he goes off Basilagani and discusses a tremendous amount of different concepts and ideas of how we bring the Shekhinah into the world. And he uses the Beis HaMikdash and the Mishkan and the Avodah of Karbanos. And there's a lot there about uh, the different levels of serving Hashem in order for us to fulfill our Avodah of bringing the Shekhinah into the world. Now, at a later point in the initial Basilagani, I'm going back to the Friedrich Rebbe's Basilagani, he t- starts saying that being that we have this mission and this job, Kalal Yisrael as a whole, and specifically in our generation, of bringing Mashiach to the world, therefore we are called in the Torah Tzivos Hashem, which literally means like Hashem's army, Hashem's soldiers. And the first time we're called Tzivos Hashem is in this week, these week's parashios, when we're going out of Mitzrayim, Hashem says, I'm taking my army out of Mitzrayim. And it says there that each and every one of us are really a soldier, a soldier in Hashem's army, to fulfill our mission of bringing the Shekhinah into this world through Torah and Mitzvahs. When it comes to an army, he says, that the king will give everything for the success of the soldiers. In other words, he says that a king, every king has, um, says, Eitzris, Eitzris, which are treasures, Eitzris, there's the treasures of the kingdom that were gathered, amassed by the fathers and the grandfathers, the, the priceless treasure, treasures of a kingdom, that typically people don't even see them, aren't even, they're just hidden in the treasure in the storehouses of the kings. But there's one thing that would make a king not only give, but to splurge all of their treasures, and that is for the Nitzachon HaMilchama, to be victorious in battle. Because there's nothing that's as important and as essential to a king that his soldiers, that his army are victorious in the battles that are for the sake of the kingdom. And all this is, of course, a metaphor for Hashem and us. If we're Hashem's soldiers and we have a mission and our mission and our battles are the battles against that which is unholy. And our mission is to bring Mashiach and bring the Shekhinah into this world. So for that, Hashem gives us Eitzres. He gives us treasures of strength, treasures of energy, treasures of power. Koiches to be able to overcome all of the different hurdles and all the different challenges that we need to in order to overcome and be victorious and ultimately bring the Gula, bring Mashiach. So, in order to understand what are those Eitzres, what are those divine treasures that are shared with us. So in the Maimer, which is really in the third section of the Maimer. Remember I said the Maimer has 20 chapters, but it's divided into four sections. 
So the third section starts Ois Yud Aleph, which is chapter 11 of the Maimur. He brings the statement of the Zayar. The Zayar says, Oyrein Saif, Lemaila Maila Ad Ein Ketz, Ulemata Mata Ad Ein Tachlis. That talks about the infinite nature of the divine revelation, Oyrein Saif, the Oyr, the light, the infinite light of Hashem. And it says that the infinite, infinite light of Hashem has this infinite spread, an infinite effect. And again, the words are that it's lemaila maila ad inkets, higher and higher limitlessly. Hashem's divine light shines, and higher means spiritually and worlds and realms and malachim. And Hashem's light just constantly, continually shines higher. But also lemata mata ad inkets, lower and lower without limit. Hashem's light is infinite and reaches every part of creation. And all of that is brought to explain what Hashem is giving us. When it says that Hashem is giving us the Eitzris, giving us those treasures, in order to empower us, in order to energize us, in order to do our Aveda, so he starts talking about the, the vast levels and madrigos of godliness of Alekus that Hashem shears with us or gives us or splurges to us in order to give us our Aveda to bring Mashiach. So in the Mimer he goes into, in detail into that statement of the Zayhar, of the Eir Saif, how it goes higher and higher and lower and lower and what that means and which levels are we talking about and how it expresses itself. And this is what the Friedrich Rebbe is working through in the Maimon. In chapter 14, which is the chapter of this year, as we said, and the one that Rebbe focused on in, in, in 1964 and 1984, the specific focus of the chapter is on the Eir Saif, Lemata Mata Adin Ketz. Uh, I'm sorry. Lemata Mata Adin Tachlis that Hashem's infinite light spreads lower and lower, and there's nowhere where Hashem's light doesn't reach, doesn't affect, and doesn't energize. Even though Hashem is so high and so holy and so spiritual, but that light descends and comes lower into all the steps of creation, even the parts of creation that seem not to be godly, not to be holy, even those that seem to defy godliness and be impure, and even sinfulness, even there, we have the Eirin Saif. The light of Hashem is everywhere, affects everywhere, energizes everywhere, gives life to everywhere, and is not affected by it. Hashem's, life, Hashem's light, although it's the energy of everything, and it's the creator of everything, and is behind everything, is, and including things that are unholy and impure and sinful and so on and so forth, is not affected by them negatively. It remains holy and aloof, even while it's energizing and providing life and, and sustenance. And that is the unique focus of this week's, of this year's um, Basilagani chapter 14. Now, I have to tell you one thing that I, I think I missed out. There was something very unique about every Basi Lagani mimer. But open up any one, 1951, 52, 53, 65, 75, any Basi Lagani mimer, there's something very unique. And that is specifically in these memorim, the Rebbe would always weave in teachings of every one of the Rebbe in order. The Alter Rebbe and the Mittler Rebbe and the Samach Tzedek and the Rebbe Maharash and the Rebbe Rashab and the Friedrich Rebbe. It was all woven in to every Basiligani Maimur. Sometimes the Rebbe would say, would mention all Rebbeim once and then a second time, sometimes even a third time. It was like as if the Basiligani Maimurim were Dafka, a, a, a tapestry 
of teachings of all of our Rabbeim. And this is unique to Basilagani. It's not in all the regular Mamorim. All the, the Rebbe has, the Rebbe said hundreds and hundreds of Mamorim, but it's the Basilagani Mamorim where the Rebbe always wove in from all the Rabbeim. And although I don't know that the Rebbe ever said a reason for it, I think it's sort of understood because Basilagani is that Mimer where the Rebbe became, assumed uh, to be the next Rebbe. And therefore there was that concept of the Hemshech, the continuation that starts from the Alter Rebbe, the first there, to the second, to the third, and we see that very clearly in all the Basilagani Memorim. So, what I want to do here now is look at, again, the Basilagani that the Rebbe said in 1964, and do at least some of the teachings that the Rebbe brought in order of the Rabbeim to explain this concept. This concept of Eirin Saif Lamata Mata, the Intachlis, that the Eirin Saif, that the infinite light of Hashem spreads and descends lower, lower without any limitation. Okay, so again, I'm, I'm using the Mimer, but I'm using the Rabbeim as the, as the Rebbe brings them in the Mimer to sort of create a uh, synopsis of this Mimer. So, he brings a Pasuk, the Pasuk is in Nehemia, we say it also every morning in Davening, where it says, Ve'ata mechaye eskulam, that Hashem gives life and Hashem gives sustenance to everything. Right, we say that in Davening in the morning from, from, from the Navi Nehemia, Ve'ata you, Hashem Mechayeh gives chayes askulam to everything. Everything means spiritual creations, physical creations, holy creations, unholy creations. Everything has only one source of chayes, one source of energy. The Alter Rebbe in Tanya teaches that the word ve'ata, interesting, the word ata is made up of aleph, tough, and hey, right? Aleph and tough is the uh, first and last letter of the alphabet. And then you have the hey. And he says, Hashem gives chayis to everything, Hashem gives energy to everything, through the, le- the Hebrew letters of the Aleph base. As we know, it says, Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu, Hashem created heaven and earth with words, right? Vayomer Hashem Yihi Or, Vayomer Hashem Yihi Rakia. The, the ten utterances of creation created the world, and those letters constantly create and recreate everything. So that all creation, all energy of creation, is from the letters of the Aleph base. And that's alluded to in Va'ata Mechayes Kulam. Aleph Tov. Ata is Aleph Tov, which is from the letter Aleph Tov Tov, the 22 letters of the alphabet. And then you have the Hey, because there's, as he explains in time, you have the five different um, forms of speech, or the, the letters come from five different parts of the mouth, or five ways they come out of the mouth, and all the letters are bunched up and they come into uh, out of one of those five ways. So that's the idea of Va'ata Mechayes Kulam, that everything is constantly created from Hashem. Everything. And then the Alter Rebbe goes on in a different place and says that although the words is v'ata mechaye eskula, mechaye, mechaye means to give chaye, is to give energy, but he says there's something deeper, which is, he says, atikra mechaye ele mehave. Not just Hashem energizes everything, Hashem creates everything. And that's two separate things. Right? Every person or animal or tree, everything in this world has its life and has its physical um, substance, the body, the goof. The Geshem, the substance. So, the life is energized by Hashem. Our life and our kochos, our spiritual, our, our um, whether it's the power of sight or the power of hearing or the power of thinking, all those, that's the life of a person. And the same thing of an animal or a tree. Even that which is inanimate has a life, even though we don't see it. But everything has life, and that life is energized by Hashem. But Hashem is not just a source of energy. He's also the source of our very existence. And that's the difference between Va'ata Mechaye Eskulam, you give life to everything, and Va'ata Mehave Eskulam, you create everything. 
and both come equally from Hashem. In every aspect of creation, the chayas and the hishavus, the life and the sustenance and the, the very being, the very substance of everything, everything comes directly from Hashem. In everything, um, in, in the life we see more spirituality, in the substance we see it less, and yet they both come equally from Hashem. This concept that everything comes from Hashem, and on every level it comes from Hashem, is also brought out from another Pasuk in Tehillim, as the Mimer moves on. And as a Pasuk in Tehillim, in chapter Kuflam in 139, where we say, Im esak shamayim sham oto v'atsia she'oil hineko. David HaMelech says in Tehillim, Im esak shamayim, if I would go up to the heavens, if I would be able to fly, and I would go up to heavens, heavens mean the physical heavens, or the spiritual heavens, or the highest levels, Im esak shamayim. If I travel, if I ascend to the highest places, sham oto, I'll find you there. What am I going to find in heaven? Hashem. Vatsiya Sha'il. But what if I go down to Sha'il? Sha'il is, is the abyss. Sha'il is the lowest of places. Sha'il is many times, Gehenim is called Sha'il. So if I go to the lowest places, Hineka, you're there as well, says David HaMelech. It's not like Hashem is like more comfortable in heaven, but in Sha'il, someone else takes over. Tilim says, Hashem is everywhere equally. And as Rebbe goes down in the Mimer, he brings a teaching of the Mittal Rebbe, the second Rebbe of Lubavitch. And he says that from the words of Dawar Malach, it's evident that it's the same level of Hashem that's in Shamayim and Sha'il. It's not like in one place it's more Hashem or less Hashem, or Hashem is a greater level or lesser level of Hashem. It's the same thing. And he goes on to bring a Pasuk. From Yoyna, right? We say famously on Yom Kippur, by Mincha, we said Mafter of Yoyna. And Yoyna, we know the story, Hashem gives Yoyna a mission, and he has to go somewhere, and he doesn't go, and he's on a ship, and the ship is about to capsize, and they throw Yoyna into the water. And what happens is this huge whale of types of sorts swallows Yoyna. And Yoyna is in the depths of the belly of a whale in the bottom of the sea. And Yoyna calls out a tefillah to Hashem. And again, we read this tefillah, um, on Yom Kippur, by Mincha, by Maftir. And Yonah there says a Pasuk, Mi beten she'ol shav'asi. From the belly of she'ol, of the abyss, the lowest place. I mean, you can't get a lot worse than being in the belly of a whale in the bottom of the ocean. And Yonah is there, and he says, Mi beten she'ol shav'asi. I'm calling out to you, Hashem, from the belly of the whale in she'ol, in the abyss. Even there, I recognize, I found Hashem. So just as David Amal says, Vatsiya she'oil hineka, even I go down to the lowest places, that's where I'll find you. Well, guess what? Some, someone did. And that's the story of Yoyna, who's davening from the she'oil. Interestingly, he goes further in the Maimur, he brings a Pasuk, another Pasuk, and that is from the Tefillah of Chana. Right? We know when we say that, um, on Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah after we say um, after Chana um, goes through the difficult situation with, with Penina, and finally Chana has her son um, who's going to be Shmuel Hanavi, one of the greatest Nevi'im, and Chana has a song, one of the Shiras. You know, Tanakh there's a number of songs, nine nine Shiras in Tanakh. One of them is the Shira of Chana, and in that Shira she writes, "Moirid Sheoil Vayoal," that Hashem brings a person down to Sheoil to the pits, to the lowest places, the most difficult situations in life, the abyss, wherever it is, but Hashem brings a person back up. 
Because we recognize that Sha'il, even in the worst places that a person might be, they're only there because Hashem brought them down there and brought them and brings them up from there. In fact, even as, the, as he explains there in the Mimer, he says, when we think about Sha'il, one of the things we think about is Gehenna. And Gehenna is purgatory and punishments and not an exciting place to be, but we recognize why is there Gehenna? Even even Einshim, even punishments in the Torah also comes from Hashem's chesed. And it's Hashem's kindness, which is that sometimes in order for the neshama to be, to reach where it has to, it has to go through some cleansing process. Cleansing is not there to be hurtful, it's there to clean. In order to bring a person where they could be and where they should be. And that's why Gehenna is very, very much worth it. It's a favor for the neshama to have to go through Gehenna in order to reach where the neshama could. It's brought to the Gemara says, and he brings in the Mimer, the story of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir is one of the great sages of the Mishnah, and he had a teacher, Elisha ben Avuya, who his teacher, who's one of the greatest uh, Torah scholars of the generation, became, became a big Russian, became very, very wicked. And there's many stories in the Gemara about him. His name was Elisha ben Avuya. Later he was called Akhir, the other one. And he was terrible, terrible person on, on many levels, and he was hurtful for other Eden. Ultimately he died. And when he died, it seems there was some type of a discussion in heaven that his sins were so powerful. Should he even be put through Gehenna or should just the soul be forgotten? And Rabbi Meir davened for his teacher and he said, no, 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 let him be punished because it's worth it. It's worth it that he be cleansed, that he should be able to reach where he can. And Rabbi Meir davened, he says, Mutav it's worth it for him to be judged, to be punished in order he should come to Allah Mabba and he should come and his neshama should be reinstated where it has to be reinstated. And that's all what Hannah was saying in her tefillah when she says, that even if Hashem has to bring a person to a negative place, to a difficult situation, that person can be confident they're only being brought there in order to bring them back up. Because the Sha'il is also part of Hashem's world and something that Hashem creates and Hashem energizes and is there also to bring us to a higher place. So all of this, just not to forget the, the general place where we're going, all this is to explain... The Oyrin Saif Lamata Mata Adin Tachlis. That the low as low as you're gonna get and as low as you'll be, you'll be like Yonah in the in the belly of the fish. You'll be like someone who has to go like a mayor's teacher has to go into a terrible Gehenim. But a Yid knows it's all ultimately an expression of the Oyrin Saif of the infinite light of Hashem. He got he get he gets a little more Kabbalistic here, and he talks about that this infinite light of Hashem, wherever it is. Is not it's not affected by its place. Although it's energizing, although it's creating, and although the places that might be energizing and creating can be very difficult and very negative and very unholy, but the light itself remains untouched. Because the light, he calls it, is, is the ultimate um, uh, bleak, uh, the, uh, un, it has the unlimited nature of Hashem and is not affected by all of those places that it energizes and creates. One of the, one of the Mishalom that he brings, that's a mashallah is brought in Hasidus, is brought earlier in books of Kabbalah, which is light. The light, wherever it shines, remains pristine. Even the light might be shining in places that are, it's a dump. It might be shining in dirty places and negative places and painful places, but the light remains pristine. The, the light remains untouched. It's the air of Hashem. And that Oyer of Hashem is creating and energizing, but the light remains untouched. It's a reflection of the Bligvul of Hashem. And he goes and he brings from the Tzamech Sadek, as we're going through the order of our Rabbeim. And the Tzamech Sadek gives a whole teaching um, about the, uh, the, the vessels of the world of Atsilus. 
Um, and we don't have the time and place to go into a whole uh, explanation of the world of Atzilos, but in general, we talk about four basic worlds of creation. Um, Atzilos, Bria, Yitzira, Asiya. Um, emanation, creation, formation, and action. Atzilos being the highest of the worlds. But in Atzilos, there's ten spheros, and there's ten attributes, and they have each one has lights and has vessels. And the Samasadik's point is that everything in that world of holiness remains pure no matter what, and remains limitless. It's part of Hashem, it's part of the limitless nature of Hashem. So even though it might shine as chesed, or it might shine as gevura, or it might shine as kindness, or severity, or beauty, or victory, whatever sphere it is, ultimately because it's in the world of Atzilos, it retains its untouchability. I don't know if there's such a word, but it, it, it's unchangeability. It, re, it retains its kedusha, its limitless nature as part of Hashem. And that's how Hashem shines down into this world. The Rebbe goes on and brings to the Rebbe Maharash, the fourth Rebbe, and he says that this, even some great tzaddikim exhibited this concept, that no matter where they were and no matter what they were involved with, they still remained untouched by their surroundings. They remained fully holy almost like they're dis- detached, disconnected, although they were very involved in the places that they were. And the, the beautiful example he brings is from Yosef HaTzadik. Right? We have the difference between Yosef HaTzadik and his brothers. We had um, all the brothers with Tzadikim, the, the Shvatim, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, but Hasidus tells us that there was a basic difference between all the Shvatim versus Yosef HaTzadik. And that is that the Shvatim, what was their um, involved? what did they do? What was their uh, source of livelihood? They were shepherds. Why were they shepherds? Because they were totally spiritual beings and people, and they were involved all day in their relationship with Hashem, in their, in their singing to Hashem and davening and learning Torah, whatever it was. So therefore, they remained removed, untouched. They weren't going to be involved with the world and the worldly. They went out, they were shepherds, they went out with the animals, with the sheep, and to the forest, and to the wilderness, wherever it was, and they spent their time in a totally ruchniistic setting. Yosef HaTzadik was the opposite. He wasn't a shepherd at all. He was the viceroy of Egypt. He was a king. He was very, very involved in the physical and the mundane of a very, very decadent country. Egypt wasn't a holy place by any imagination. Egypt was, it's called Ervasar. It's the lowest, lowest place in the world. And Yosef HaTzadik was extremely involved in Egypt. And yet, he remained untouched in his Kedusha. He had that ability that he could be seemingly very involved and Taka very involved, very involved and engrossed and busy with the people and the surroundings and the comings and goings and whatever had to be done. And at the same time, because of the limitless na- uh, nature of his neshama, he was on that level that he could be very much in the world at the same time, totally untouched by it. In no way was his Kedusha diluted by it. So much so, the Hasidah says, that that's what it means when the Pasuk says that the Shvatan came to Yosef, they could not recognize him. Right? The Pasuk says, when they came before Yosef, he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. Why not? So Rashi says, because he grew a beard. So when they knew him, he didn't have a beard. Now he had a beard, they didn't recognize him, which, which is hard to understand. None of them recognized him just because he had a beard. But Hasidus explains, he was on a level that was so removed from them, they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't understand, they couldn't grasp such a concept that someone could be so involved in the world and the worldly and the mundane and be so holy and untouched by anything.
That was something that was beyond their level. So Yosef Asadik represents in Sadik form this concept that we're learning in the in the Mimer about the Orient Sof Lamata Mata Adin Tachlis. That just like we're talking about the infinite nature of Hashem's light that is able to energize and create and come to the lowest places and create the Sheol and the abyss and the tomb and the klipa, the impurities and holinesses, and yet remain untouched, undiluted, limitless, and godly. Yosef Hatzadik in, in person form re, um uh, presented or represented that madriga, that type of that tribal level. He goes on to the Mimer to bring that, interestingly, there's a tzaddik in a much later generation who also represented the same level, and that was the Balshemtov. The Balshemtov, of course, was the founder of the Hasidic movement. So it says about the Balshemtov that on the one hand, he was, he was able to be in a different world, and, his, and there's different experiences that the Balshemtov tells us about his outer body experiences in a different world. And while he was there, he was also talking to people and also guiding people and answering their questions in their day-to-day life that, need, they, that they needed help with. In fact, the Baal Shem Tov said that he davened specifically for this. He davened to Hashem that his, he should be able to be fully involved and to be um, engrossed or, or, or involved in people and their lives and their stories and helping them. And at the same time, that shouldn't take him away from his total dvekus, total being uh, connected on a higher place, on a higher plane. It's, it's written about the Baal Shem Tov that on Shabbos, and I'm not sure exactly how to explain this, but it's written about the Baal Shem Tov that on Shabbos, he was two-thirds in the other world and only one-third down here. The rest of the week, he was two-thirds down here and one-third up there. Now, I don't think it means physically that they didn't see like from his head up. Obviously, he's a human being and they saw him. But his madriga, his level was such that while he was a human being walking around on this earth, his mind, his heart, his neshama was totally connected in the higher world. Similar to the Madrig of Yesef HaTzadik, and similar to this concept that we're learning over here about the Erdin Saif, that's Lamata Mata Adin Kets, no matter how low it goes and wherever there is, he's going to be there while he's untouched by it as well. He goes on and brings from the Rebbe Rashab. Right? If we're following, we're going through all the Rabbeim one by one. He goes on and brings from the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Shabbos, this is the difference, to explain the difference, he says there are certain things that they must become involved in what they're doing, and therefore they're um, limited or enclosed by what they're doing. And certain things remain above and pristine even while they're doing something. The Rabbi Shabbos talks about the difference between or and koach. He says a koach, a soul power, a soul power is involved. This is for example, a seichel. When we're thinking. When we're thinking, we're involved in the thing that we're learning. Our mind gets involved in it. We can't think about one thing and at the same time think about another thing. Right? Some people think that they can, but really we can't. If, if I'm involved in one thing, if I'm engrossed there, I'm not engrossed in something else. If I'm looking at one thing, I can't look in the other direction. I'm looking there, not there. Right? He says, kochos, the way soul powers work is that what it gets involved in it, it surrounds them, it encompasses them, it involves them. But we have certain parts that are like or, like that light that we talked about earlier, that can, can shine everywhere and is not affected by the places that it's shining to. And the Rabbi Hashab explains in detail that in Hashem also, there's the different aspects of Hashem. There's the kochos of Hashem and there's the oros of Hashem. These are different aspects of the divine. The kochos of Hashem the soul powers, so to speak, the individual powers get involved in certain things. One power gets involved in something, another power in another thing. But that's not the Or. When we talk about the Or in Sof, when we talk about the infinite light of Hashem, that has that 
quality of being everywhere and shining everywhere and affecting everywhere, and yet at the same time not being brought down, not being dragged down, not being in any way limited by where it is. And therefore he says that is, and as he comes closer to the end of the Mimer, he says this is the concept of Orin Sof Lemata Mata Ad Ein Tachlis, that we understand when we talk about the infinite light of Hashem, that it's able to, it's able to go down, it's able to affect and energize and create. We talk about Chayis, we talk about Yisavos, we talk about giving the energy, giving the, the substance of everything, but in a way that it still retains its Kedusha and its, its being above and beyond everything that it is affecting at the same time. It affects, but is not affected. That's the Orient Sof, Lamata Mata Adin Tachlis. And then you have the Orient Sof, Lamaila Maila Adin Ketz, how it goes higher into the worlds and the higher worlds, and then he moves on into the next parts of the Mimer. He doesn't focus on that today, he just mentions it at the end of the Mimer. They're just like there's the unlimited levels of the Orient Sof go downward, there's the unlimited levels of the Orient Sof as they go upward. But he says, and all of these Madragas, all of these is called the Oitzer, that is the treasures of Hashem. Those limitless and bleakful levels of Hashem that are without any, nothing can in any way confine them and stop them. And all of this, Hashem gives to His soldiers. And all this, remember, was the, was the big metaphor. That you have the, we are the soldiers of Hashem, we're Shiva's Hashem. And we're empowered with a, with a mission. And the mission is to bring Mashiach and bring Hashem into this world and bring the Gula Shlema. And we have to face many times struggles. Sometimes our struggles are internal struggles with ourselves or maybe in our family, or maybe in the world around us. It's the struggles with the powers of impurity in whatever form they take. And Hashem splurges all of those kochos. And He says He gives those kochos to the generals of the armies, but it's not for the generals, it's for the foot soldiers. The generals are the tzaddikim. The tzaddikim of every generation, they're the generals, they lead the army. But the Rebbe says in the Maimur, He says this in every Basilagani, wars are not won by generals. Wars are won by foot soldiers. Generals lead, generals guide, generals inspire. That's Sadiqim. Sadiqim guide, Sadiqim teach, Sadiqim inspire. But Sadiqim don't win the battle. Sadiqim aren't the ones who bring Mashiach. The ones who bring Mashiach are the regular foot soldiers, the Anoshim, Noshim Vitaf, the men, the women, and the children, each one who has a Neshama. So although these tremendous gifts, these tremendous treasures are given to the the generals of the army, but is given to them in order to give and to splurge and to shear to every soldier and every person in the army to be able to do their avodah. And every person, when they have that uh, understanding and appreciation of the gifts that Hashem gives, and Hashem gives from His very essence to each and every one of us, He says this can become the ultimate goal and desire of every person, to be able to connect with the etzem, the essence of their own neshama, which is the essence of Hashem above the Rebbe referenced what the Alter Rebbe would be heard saying when he davened sometimes. Sometimes when the Alter Rebbe was davening, they would hear him say words in Yiddish. And uh, it seems that a common refrain that the Alter Rebbe would say when he was davening was, he says, Hashem, he says, I don't want, I'm not looking for Ganeidin, the higher levels of Ganeidin, the lower levels of Ganeidin, I'm looking just to be connected you alone. He would say in Yiddish, Ich will ze garnish, ich will nicht dein Ganeden, ich will nicht dein Elam Haba, ich will mehr nicht mit dir allein. A Yid wants to connect to the essence of Hashem, using the essence of Neshama, and when we're connected with it, when we're able to connect, because we have that, we have the essence of our Neshama, and when we're able to focus in on that and connect to that, then we have we have a power, we have that connection of the Oitzer of the Melech, the, the treasures of the King, which is called also the Oitzer of Yir Shemayim, 
the Eitzah, the treasure of Yerushalayim that's there within the soul of each and every one of us. Whether we access it or not, it's there, it's available to us. So that whatever struggle or whatever challenge we have to overcome personally or around us, in order to bring Hashem into our lives, in the lives of our homes, in the lives of the world around us, we have all of those treasures that were given to each and every one of us in order to be able to fulfill that mission of Basi Ligani Kala of the Shekhinah coming back to the world in totality in a way that the Shekhinah will feel fully comfortable in this world. Finally, after all of our Veda with the coming of Mashiach, may be the Kara of Mamash. And that's how the Rebbe finished that first mimer of Basi Ligani of Tafshin Mandalid. 1964. And listen, it's a couple of days to left for Yitzvah, Hashem Shabbat, we should finish our avoid until then. And Mizaycha to the Gula Shleiman, we need it on so many levels, on so many fronts, for so, for, for everyone, for Klal Yisrael, for Hashem himself, and we should see it and experience it together. Amen. 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 Amen.